0: Our Father and our God, it is to that that victory one day that we, that we cut one eye, a, a victory that Jesus Christ will certainly accomplish for his church, the day when all of his enemies will be put at his footstool and the church of Jesus Christ will be no longer beset with sin and temptation. The church of Jesus Christ will then be triumphant We look forward, O God, to that day and pray that while we wait for it, that you will find indeed faithfulness among us, consistency, that we might seek to live lives that are in conformity with that of our saviors, that we might emulate him indeed in the power of the Spirit. O God, might our worship services prompt us to greater heights of holy living. Might they remind us that this is, only a three-score-and-ten in preparation for an eternity. We have come, O God, this morning not because we want to critique a sermon. We have come to worship. We have come to lay before the celestial audience of one our thanksgiving, our praise, our confession of sin, our gifts, our lives, all of it, O God. We have come to lay at your footstool and, and say all over again that our highest loyalty in life is Jesus Christ, and it's in that name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. From uh, Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11, I'll only read through verse 16 this morning since we've read it twice already. This is the third in a series of probably 12, 13, 14 messages on the prodigal son. Follow now at verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. The story of the prodigal son contains a dimension, an element that, in my opinion, is terribly sad, e- even tragic. Um, I, I'm not sure that Jesus' intent was uh, to sadness. In fact, I'm, I'm fairly certain that his intent was to gladness. But um, nevertheless, there is a, uh, there, there's still a side to this story that at least I for one think is just sad. L- let me try to illustrate uh, my point. I read a story uh, once that was told by a Dr. Clovis Chapelle. He was an old retired Baptist minister who spent most of his ministry in North Carolina. And as a uh, young boy in in church and in a Sunday school class, uh, he was in a Sunday school class of boys, and, and if you've ever taught one of those, you know that that can present some uh, fairly distinct challenges. But um, uh, one particular Christmas, uh, the Sunday school teacher decided that they were going to, ha- he was going to offer a Christmas party uh, at Christmas time, a Christmas party, and so the, the party was held on a Sunday morning in their Sunday school class, and they had a, they had a, um, Christmas tree and Christmas gifts and even a Santa came and to, to, to distribute the gifts and uh, so what would happen is they would call out the name of the individual boys and they would come forward and get their present and go back to their seat and open their presents and and um, there was in their class a young man who was eight inches taller than the rest of them was uh, somewhat slow-witted and Dr. Chappelle said that uh, we had a crude a very crude term for him we called him the village idiots. And so as they sat there on that Christmas party and they were ready to, they were distributing the gifts, this young man was sitting there and, and uh, gifts after gifts were being passed out, but his name was never called. And, and you could see the tears were almost beginning to form in his eyes. And, and almost towards the end, Santa goes behind the tree. He picks up a big package and reads off this young man's name. And, of course, delight all over his face, he comes running towards the room. He grabs his present and immediately in front of everyone else begins to rip through the, 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 the paper and the ribbons and to see um, his gift. But somebody in the class had decided to play a trick on him and there was nothing in the box. So he stood there in front of the whole group, turned his box over and shook it and nothing was in there. And this young man uh, ran out of the room, tears flowing down his cheeks. Don't you hate stories like that? That's, uh, makes you mad. But on another level, ladies and gentlemen, you ever been there? Oh, I think you have. The ribbons were colorful. The wrapping was so attractive. But when you got inside, the box was empty. Oh, yeah, I think you have been there. The prodigal son sure had. He grabbed a hold of something that looked so pretty on the outside. But when he got inside, it was empty and bitter. Gang, um, to whom do you turn when the world plays a dirty trick on you? Where do you go when the parade stops? Um, what do you do, ladies and gentlemen, when the world promises you something and then doesn't deliver? How do you handle it when, when the realization finally occurs, finally breaks through that you've been duped You can blame the world, the prodigal son could have and probably did. You could curse famines, chalking it up to bad luck. He probably did that too. But it doesn't change much. It doesn't change the fact that you are left holding the bag. It doesn't change the reflection in that mirror, it didn't change his when he looked into that muddy puddle. He could barely recognized the face that was there. Was swollen and muddy. Did I ever tell you the story about uh, the one that Steve Brown tells about the woman that came to his office? A, uh, a woman made an appointment with Steve and, and um, uh, came in to see him and she was in her late 30s and he said no sooner had she sat in the chair than she began to bawl. And uh, every preacher has been in situations like that where you're really not particularly sure what to do, and so Steve said I just sat there and waited her for waited for her to stop crying, and and while she gained just a measure of control over herself, she um, she reached into her purse and pulled out a photograph, and she put the photograph in front of Steve, and and it was Steve didn't know exactly what was going on. He said it was a picture of a. Of a cute little three or four-year-old with pigtails and this captivating smile, and and after he had studied it for a minute, he looked up to the woman, and and she looked back at him, and she said, "That's me. And look what I've done to her." You know, I I I bet uh, the prodigal son had some kind of emotion like that. That's me. That's what I've done. He tumbled headlong and landed face first. (laughs) Reminds me of uh, a boyhood memory. When I was about five or six, I'm not sure, but I I went to visit my cousin Don. We were close and my cousin Don had just uh, acquired a brand new set of stilts. Well, I had never walked on stilts before, but being the highly athletic person that I am, uh, I, uh, I thought, well, what the heck, I can handle these, and never had any lessons about stilts. And so after, uh, in the midst of my first fall, instead of throwing away the stilts, I went down with the ship, face first, right on the concrete. That was also my first experience with stitches. <laughs> but but that, it reminded me of the prodigal son, face first, you know, it wasn't enough that he was friendless. He was also broke. He'd pawned the ring and the coat and the sandals long ago. He, those long hours of walking the streets, that didn't seem to break him. You know, you would think that, that with uh, having spent all those days lugging a bucket of pig slop, that it would force some kind of change of heart. But there are hints, ladies and gentlemen, that this young man has has not yet reached the bottom. The text says, which is really verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. It couldn't have come at a worse time because... He had spent all. Oh, how he missed those, uh, those days of carefree buying and spending. How, how, how could it go so quickly? Where are all those new friends that I had made that his brother suggested he might have? What could be worse? Well, I'll tell you what could be worse. Kitsatsa. Remember that? I told you about Ketzatza last week. It was the ceremony mentioned in the Talmud that is uh, performed on a Jewish boy that lost his money to Gentiles. Um, Briefly described, it is a public, communal, total excommunication, a ban, a a humiliation in front of all of his... Everybody that knew him. And if he goes back, Katsatsa, that's what awaits him. So, go back? No way. There's got to be other options. And ladies and gentlemen, the one that he chooses, that is the option that he chooses, and this is something that you must get, the option that he chooses is the one that men, apart from the Father, always choose. He chooses... Self-help, moral reform, um, pull myself up by the bootstraps, get myself a do-it-yourself kit. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if I could tell you the number of times that people have shown up in my office and they've blown it and blown it bad, the first thing that always pops into their minds is, well, i got to start going back to church. Ha, <laughs> ha, Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I don't particularly rejoice in that. Can you imagine a preacher not rejoicing that somebody goes back to church? No, ladies and gentlemen, because for more times than not, it is nothing more than what the prodigal son is doing. Okay, my situation is dire. I'm going to have to, you know, shape myself up some. You know, gang, a a pigsty is no place for self-confidence. this boy sure hasn't learned that. So to get myself cleaned up, I'm going to have to get myself a job, a paying job, a high-paying job. And he tried to obtain one. (laughs) You know what the job he got? It was a job where he didn't get paid, but he did get fed. He was feeding... pigs, (laughs) a Jewish boy, ends up feeding pigs. (laughs) Is that not sad to you? And then finally we'll see in a couple of weeks that that failed and he plans one last roll of the dice. He's going to go home. He's going to get a little job training, you know, work himself up his way up the corporate ladder and earn his way. Because if he's ever going to, to avoid Kitsatsa, he'll have to earn back that money that he wasted so that he can give it to his father. I may be the only one here, ladies and gentlemen, but in my book, that's sad. It's all so avoidable. What chance in the midst of a severe famine, not just any famine, but a severe famine? What chance has a prodigal son who has already raced, wasted all of his money and ride his living? What, what chance do you think he's got? What hope is there for, for a boy who has absolutely nothing to offer? A penniless spendthrift? Those are not a good, that's not a good combination. And so finally, when covered with rags and so hungry that his is, he could count his ribs, He throws himself on a citizen of that country and says, for for bread and water, I'll do anything you tell me. And so he lugs pig slop. Sad, isn't it? A Jewish boy sent out into the fields to feed swine. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is a picture. That is a picture of the human race as it has fallen away from God and gone into a faraway country. That's sad. Duped, disoriented. Remember, I, I had been trying to point out that this parable was evoked from Jesus by the Pharisees who criticized Jesus for being soft on sin. And what I've done in the previous two weeks is tried to point out lessons that, the, that Jesus had for the Pharisees, but here's another one. One of the lessons that the Pharisees were supposed to, supposed to get from this parable is that sin is so blasted deceptive. Did you know that, ladies and gentlemen? Did you know that one of the characteristics that the New Testament gives to sin in Hebrews chapter 3 is that it's deceptive? L- let, me, let me read you this text. It's in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. One of the things that the Pharisees needed to learn is that sin is deceitful. And ladies and gentlemen, one of the lessons that some of us need to learn is that sin is deceitful. Oh, how deceived were these Pharisees. So was the prodigal son. And so were some of us. Never does sin ever announce itself, ladies and gentlemen. Never does it come and introduce itself in its true colors. Never does it come and say, I am your deadly enemy, O oh man, and I'm out to ruin your soul forever in hell. No, no. We only find that out later. Find me one person. Just one. That's all I ask for. One person will come and stand up here and tell you that sin, that sin gave back all it promised. You know, I did singles for six years, fell in love with singles. Um, I still love to deal with singles, but I did a retreat one time. And um, the retreat, I didn't know it was going to be as popular as it was, but um, the retreat was on relationships. And believe me, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't say much that was all that profound, but I did address the subject of relationships because I, I began to understand what it was that they wanted. What they were really looking for is some kind of intimate, long-lasting, matrimonial, long-term relationship. And so I was trying to give them advice as to how that might uh, take place, and boy, they couldn't print enough of the tapes. But one of the things that I, I said and if you were in that room you'll remember this but i i was talking about sexual sin and what i was saying is this my, my basic premise was this now guys listen to me you know i'm not here to denounce sexual sin because it's so wicked oh it is <laughs> oh boy i'm not saying it's not wicked but that's not my major offense i'm not here to tell you that sexual sin is so wicked I'm here to tell you that sexual sin is so stupid. Because what you want, you'll never get that way. But it sure is wrapped up in a very beautiful package. Homosexuality, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if I'm the only one in this room, but I'm not particularly horrified by homosexual sin. You may be, but I'm not. Homosexual sin is sexual sin, just like adultery is sexual sin. And I think what the homosexual is looking for is the exact same thing that the fornicating heterosexual is looking for. They're looking for a meaningful relationship. But what has homosexuality produced? Disease, serial partners, rampant infidelity. Is that not sad to you? Folks, there are all kinds of empty packages out there besides sexual ones. There's a package that's labeled career. And people give themselves to it thinking, well that'll do it. And they end up at the front of the room with a box in their hands that is empty. And they keep shaking it and wonder where where is what it promised? There's there's other packages that are labeled stuff. Maybe if I just get a pool in the backyard, maybe that'll that'll give me what I'm looking for or a boat, or jet skis, and on and on and on it comes. Pretty empty, isn't it? Or maybe there's the package that's labeled control, or independence, or pleasure, or fun. They're all empty. You know, there's some other empty packages out there, ladies and gentlemen. There's one entitled, Jehovah's Witnesses. That's an empty box. There's one that's labeled Mormonism. That's an empty box. But there are lots of people who believe those lies. ladies and gentlemen, whatever box you took with all of its beautiful wrapping only to find out that it was empty. It is to you I say, come home. The joy, the joy is back at the father's house and he eagerly your return our father forgive us that we like the prodigal son bought into a lie some of us took a hold of a box and thinking that every delight that we longed for was bound up in there only to discover that the box was empty And we, like the prodigal son, had been duped. We had been deceived once again by sin. Sin that promised one thing, and not only it didn't deliver, but it couldn't deliver. The sadness is, we believed it. Oh, Father, for providing a means by which sinners such as myself could come home, oh, how grateful we are. We come to a, a sacrament that, that, res, that symbolizes all over again that historic event that allows sinners such as myself to come back to the Father's house and be received with joy oh God, might your people's hearts swell as we consider the provisions made for us in Christ symbolized by this sacrament. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name.